Welcome once again to the Chapter 49 podcast. It's normally a weekly podcast, and it's a production of NTEU Chapter 49. We represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name's Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree, and I'm also uh, someone who volunteers to help out Chapter 49 with communications, and this is, of course, uh, my biggest job is, is producing this podcast. Uh, I do want to mention that uh, even though we uh, normally are a, a weekly podcast, we will not have a podcast next week, and the following week we'll probably have it a little earlier in the week than normal. So we'll be back in a little less than two weeks. Uh, we're just uh, Duncan and I are trying to uh, finagle our individual schedules on this, so that's why we'll not have a, a podcast next week, but we'll be back the following week, uh, probably in a different day than to which you are accustomed. Because, Duncan, I know people wait with bated breath for our podcast every week. That would be a scary, scary thought <laughs> if they're waiting with bated breath for this. Well, and then you just they need heard, to get out and have more fun in life. <laughs> for, for, for those who have just joined us for the first time, uh, the person you just heard or saw on our video is uh, NTU Chapter 49 President Duncan Giles. He's uh, my cohort on these uh, podcasts that have been going for almost two and a half years now, mostly weekly. We do get, uh, get it uh, done most weeks. Uh, so uh, we, we appreciate the fact that you are watching and are listening. We have both a video and audio version. The audio version still uh, gets the most uh, attention. We still have video if you choose to actually look at our faces. We're not quite sure why you'd want to do that. If I'm speaking for myself only. <laughs> but uh, no, you're speaking for both of us. <laughs> okay. I want to want to say one quick thing. Uh, you know, we're kind of in the the dog days of summer. It's most places, it's hot and humid, depending on where you are in the country. The Midwest, it's a, it's a hot and humid time of year. But I just saw <clears throat> there are two almanacs that try to predict the weather, the winter weather in particular. There's the Farmer's Almanac, and then there's the Old Farmer's Almanac. Each of them try to use what are called natural clues, like looking at the trees, the sap on the trees, looking at how the woolly worms react in the summer. I mean, these are the sorts of things they use. Not exactly scientific. <clears throat> They're not always right, but sometimes they are. Well, the Farmer's Almanac came out with their winter uh, projections and predictions. And, Duncan, they say two things. One, we'll have a very early winter in the eastern United States, which Indiana's a part. Secondly, they say we'll have a very cold winter, maybe 40 degrees below zero in January. Now, it doesn't, this is not scientific. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, but that's their story and they're sticking to it. Uh, that does not sound like a good opening for a podcast. That's not the uplifting thing I was looking for to kick this sucker off. Well, I, I may be planning my Florida trip this January as a retired guy. I don't know. We uh, you don't want to go visit your uh, your uh, daughter, son-in-law, uh, you know, in the uh, warm regions of the uh, northern United States? There's really nothing like the Great Plains, South Dakota, <laughs> especially eastern South Dakota, where it's so flat. I mean, the wind will blow you away, <laughs> much less the cold. No, I, I don't know how they, they handle the winters. I mean, they've had record heat there in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where my daughter's family lives. Uh, they've, they've had uh, record high temperatures in the 100 degrees and above, and the winters are pretty brutal. So, yeah, you've got to be a hardy Midwesterner. Uh, we think it's bad in the Indianapolis area of Indiana, where you and I live. 
and just most of Indiana. But no, it's it's uh, excuse me, <clears throat> it is definitely uh, a challenge out there in South Dakota. So no, I don't think I'm planning a January trip to South Dakota. I'm sorry. The uh, one time we actually went out to visit them in, in October and had to leave a day early because a blizzard was on the way. So that says something there. Let's get off the weather. Not uh, we're not talking about pleasant things there, Duncan. Let's talk about uh, some good news. Uh, when you were negotiating the national agreement, uh, this time last year, actually, the uh, final version of that, <clears throat> and excuse me, I'm coming down with some allergies, so my voice may not be 100% here. Uh, you put in that contract, a provision for child care subsidies, something other agencies have had for a very long time. IRS um, has never had that as, a, as an employee benefit. You put that in the contract, the contract is, is was uh, uh, you know, ratified some months ago, and it's 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 a little late, but it's still coming. So tell us what uh, you know uh, about the status of this child care subsidy program for IRS employees. Yeah, this is finally finally coming to fruition. Uh, went through a lot of fits and starts. Um, you know, National NTU had to basically get out the hammer on the IRS and say, we need to get off the dime and get this done. So the opening uh, for this uh, and the information was sent out to IRS employees earlier this week uh, will be in just a little over a week or so. And, you know, you can go back. It could be retroactive. We got permission from OPM to go retroactive to January 1st of this year. And it, again, it's going to be based on your total family income. You know, how much do you spend at a licensed child care and are you meeting the total family income, uh, which starts at $70,000, anything 70000 or below? And again, this was all negotiated. This is something that uh, NTU brought up. IRS thought it was a very good idea and wanted to put some money towards it. It's just the devil's been in the details towards this, and it's been a long and tortured path to finally get to where we are now. So as I understand it, you have those uh, income limitations, and it is one thing we need to mention. You, you you touched on this already. This is like family income. This is like the income that you have in your household, which is not necessarily the same as something we tax people know as, let's say, adjusted gross income or even gross income. We're talking about a different standard, aren't we? Exactly so, and the information is out there. Uh, from what the IRS sent out earlier this week, and NTU has got information out there as well that went out to members. So we need to, you know, keep that in mind with the total family income. How much it's, you know, you could potentially get a little over five hundred dollars a month towards your um, childcare, and that I think is a uh, great win for folks who are, you know, don't have as much income coming in and need all the help they can get, especially in these inflationary times. So we're really looking forward to this finally moving off the dime and kicking off. Yeah, I think a lot of people in clerical jobs, people at uh, some of the service centers, and, and just you know, single parents in general are, are going to be able to take advantage of this. So please uh, look into it. Your managers are supposed to be uh, letting people know about it. Management's rolling it out, NTEU. Uh, basically pushed for this. This is something NTEU pushed for, and if it hadn't been for NTEU, you would not have this benefit. Let me just tell you straight out on that. 
So if you have absolutely. <laughs> so if um, if you have questions about it, uh, contact Duncan Giles in Indiana or any steward. And wherever you may be watching or listening, we know we have listeners and, watch, and people who watch uh, throughout the nation. You know, uh, talk to your local chapter. They'll be more than happy to help you with this because this is something NTEU worked hard to provide for you as part of this contract. And, for example, VA has had this benefit for years. In their last contract with their union, they they actually put more money into it. They increased the amount that you can have and changed the, the criteria a little bit. So we're hoping this is... This is just the first step, and uh, the next time there's a major contract uh, negotiation, I'm sure NTEU will, will try to enhance this program, but at least we got it started, and uh, please uh, look into whether this w- would benefit you. It's it's something that NTEU put in there for for you as uh, parents, single parents, or just parents of low income. Uh, this, is, this is definitely for you. Let's move on to another issue. We've been talking about reasonable accommodations for a long time. Uh, reasonable accommodations are part of uh, the whole COVID issue. It's I don't want to just rehash everything about that unless you want to, and you may want to go ahead and just maybe give a little background on it. But the reasonable accommodation process is is backed up, and it's going to take as much as 30 days for people to even get a response that, yes, you have something in the system and we're looking at it. That's how backed up it is. So so talk about what you know and what people should expect, expect when the reasonable accommodations are submitted to the management. Yeah, this is one of those things, big shock. Uh, everybody is overwhelmed by the number of reasonable accommodations. Um, and this is basically going to folks who are at a high risk uh, for catching COVID, especially when they're in a uh, when they're POD that they have to go into twice a pay period is in a high risk area. And more and more parts of the U.S. are going to that high risk area for COVID. So people are naturally and understandably concerned about this, want to put in a reasonable accommodation to see if they can get this waived, uh, you know, either long-term or why it's while it's either medium or high risk or whatever it is, depending upon their circumstance and what their medical professional will sign off on. Well, you know, it's, it's become, like I said, it's become overwhelming to the folks that have to administer this. It's not a problem with the managers. The managers usually, you know, sign on or off of it fairly quickly. Then it has to go to a reasonable accommodation coordinator and it could be 30 days or more before that reasonable accommodation coordinator can even get to you, if you put one of these in, to have the initial conversation, not an approval, an initial conversation about this. And if it needs medical documentation, which the vast majority of them will, and that has to go to uh, who IRS contracts with at Federal Occupational Health, they're overwhelmed as well. It's going to take quite a while. Now, management's supposed to try and work with you during this period, but it's very possible, and we've seen a lot of cases where they're saying, okay, it's status quo until you get that reasonable accommodation. So if you put one in and say, okay, I put this reasonable accommodation in, next pay period, I should be good to go and not have to go in because of my condition and the conditions around in my area, no, that's not happening nearly that quick and won't be. And another thing people should know is that you want to make sure that when you submit that reasonable accommodation paperwork, that it's all filled out correctly and completely, uh, because that's something else that can hold it up, correct? 
Oh, absolutely. Anytime they have to go back for more information, it's going to be a longer and longer process. So the more information you have at the start, the clearer it is, uh, the more concise that your medical professional can be as to exactly why you uh, would be harmed or potentially harmed physically for going into a post of duty, you know, those types of things. All that information, the more the better, the more concise the better, and the com- have it complete is of the utmost importance. And if you need help getting it together, uh, your local chapter can help you to make sure, maybe look it over, help you make sure you have it all done correctly. That That's one thing NTU can do for you if you uh Talk to your local steward or one of your officers, or Duncan, if he's available, would be glad to help you with that. Speaking of getting paperwork done correctly and completely, let's talk about retirement. <laughs> it was 10 years ago that I put my retirement uh, paperwork together, and I was where I began as early as you can, can do to get that done. So if, if we have people watching and listening who are thinking about retiring or getting close to that time, uh, you need to plan ahead. Um, OPM was backed up when I retired. I think it's worse now than it was 10 years ago, although it's hard to say. It's just bad. Um, I would like for you to just give some pointers to people uh, if, if someone is thinking about retiring. How early should you begin that process? Yeah, this is one of those things where I hear from a lot of people who are um – you know, like myself in the KMA stage of their federal careers and saying, well, you know, I could go next week or I could go a month from now or something like that. And my usual response to them is, is that's great. I hope you've got enough money saved up for at least half of a year because you're not going to be getting that information and that money as quickly as you'd like. And they just sort of look at me shocked thinking, okay, well, once I put it in, it should be pretty automatic. And it's not it. I would advise anybody uh, that's thinking about retiring or or have a definite date. Six months from that date, I put in your paperwork, get it started, get it in there. Let our folks uh, at the IRS take a look at it, see if there are any questions or anything like that, so they can get it forwarded to OPM, who is the one who makes the actual calculations for you know, how much you're going to get. And the sooner that the folks at OPM can get it, hopefully the faster they can wade through their backlog and get to you. So you don't have that much of a shortfall when you actually do retire. Yes. And that's good advice. Uh, Absolutely. Get started early and uh, make sure your paperwork again is correct. Even people who are quite vigilant about it end up getting their retirement paperwork back because something isn't right. It's just so involved and detailed. And as you would expect, there are demands that that be correct and complete when it's uh, submitted. The people at IRS do that. The people at OPM do that. So uh, that's something you need to start thinking about as you get close to that retirement date. Let's move on to another issue. Um, One thing that I think has been an issue uh, at times, sometimes more than others, between NTEU and the Internal Revenue Service is this idea of being transparent and being consistent with their policies. You've seen a recent instance where you think that may not be happening. Explain what's going on there. Yeah, you see this all the time. Um, And this is something that, as somebody who's been a longtime advocate for employees, 
just drives me absolutely up the wall. You know, the vast majority of the time, there isn't anything secret going on. Let employees know what's going on. If you're wanting to make a change or, or you know, doing something, hey, we're get, we want to do this, and this is why we want to do this. And so, you, you know, that way you might be able to, I don't know, get feedback from the people who are actually doing the work, if it's not a subject that has to be negotiated, to help do those types of changes that it makes it better for everybody. So you want to be transparent. And for God's sakes, if any management officials are listening out there, be consistent. If you haven't, you know, if you've got control over, you know, 10 or 12 groups and you're letting four groups do this and four groups do this and four groups do that, and it's all doing, you know, all the three divisions are doing something different in your, uh, under your purview, that's just a recipe for disaster because people do talk. And it's one of those things that NTU is never going to be upset if you're doing something over and above. If you're letting saying, okay, I'm just going to not worry about, you know, having people come in right now. We're high risk. I don't want my people to have to come in. So they should, you know, anybody that's in a high risk area, we're going to waive those two days, a pay period to have to come in for telework. That's great. NTU is not going to complain about that. Our issue will be, is if you do this for one group and then decide, oh, I'm not going to do it for another group. And we've seen recent instances of this all uh, all over the country. Um, and it's just something that is just, I, I can't even fathom how a uh, an upper-level manager can do this and not be consistent and not realize that there's a problem with not being consistent. So that's something we just strive for. Well, and, and having been a, both a manager and a union official in my IRS career, there's this thing called disparate treatment. So if you're pe- treating people differently and you're a union official and you can see people are not being treated the same, that's what you're going to allege in any grievance, and your chances of winning are pretty high if the management is doing exactly what you're saying, not treating people the same way or treating one group one way and another group another way. Uh, you know, managers have to realize there are consequences for doing that. Exactly. So, and that's the thing. And it puts the frontline managers in a very awkward position because I know frontline managers who are going, look, this isn't right because we're doing it this way. This group's doing it this way. You better be consistent. And, you know, sometimes the upper level managers just ignore them. And it's like, you know, it's just, stupidity that the employees and the frontline managers, the people actually impacted by this are saying, hey, just make sure it's the same for everybody. Now, if you're wanting to do something more restrictive than the contract allows for, that's a whole nother ball game and a different discussion that we would be having. But like I said, if you want to do something that's going to be beneficial that you think is good for morale, good for production, good for employees' health, you know, NTU is not going to fight you on something that you're doing over and above as long as you don't do it, as you cited, disparate treatment and treat folks differently that are under your purview. Yes. As a manager, one of the things that always aggravated me was that the upper levels of management always felt that the frontline managers knew the most. And so they constantly berated us for information responses. It made it hard to, to manage because there was such a barrage of requirements to give all these responses. 
to the higher levels of management. And then when you find out something like that's happening as a frontline manager, that there are people are being treated differently, it does, it's, it's aggravating for the, and those are the people getting the work done. The frontline workers and frontline managers, they're the people responsible for getting the work done. So I, I can't agree with you more in how, how you, you look. I think a lot of frontline managers even uh, look mm-hmm. at the, I can't speak for all of them. Some of them who were my colleagues felt the same way. Let's move on to an issue we've already talked about once, maybe more. Uh, This has to do with the IRS kind of surprising a lot of people who use removable media. It could be something like an external hard drive or just a flash drive that you you use um, in your work, especially a revenue agent might be doing this uh, when going through an audit taking a flash drive from from a, a company, for instance, or a business they're auditing and, and placing that in their computer so they can actually look at the data. The days are gone when you used all that computer paper and you're looking through the paper. That isn't happening very much anymore. Uh, so this was a big surprise to people who are working uh, in the IRS that there was a sudden and overnight change in the policy on re- this removable media that you use in your daily work uh, so, uh, what's happening with that? I know that that, uh, uh, you heard from an awful lot of revenue agents and other people working at IRS, your, 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 uh, co- uh, cohorts, uh, working around the country as chapter leaders are hearing the same thing. So what's the status of that now? Yeah, basically IRS filed a unfair labor practice and a national grievance over this just because of the fact that. You know, I understand that IT wants to make sure our systems are secure. Get that. Totally understand it. But doing this is putting us, you know, do you want to go back to the Stone Age? Because I can guarantee you a agent for SBSE or, God forbid, LB&I goes to a major company and says, oh, yeah, by the way, we can't use your stuff on our computers. So you're going to have to print everything out. They would look at us like we are insane. And that's just the kind of publicity that we would need to have. So, you know, and this is something that I I can tell you that I've had management officials contact me and say that they're very glad that NTU did file this because it was a surprise to them, too. IT just did this, like you said, basically overnight. And the vast majority of management officials who were impacted by this were not alerted, didn't have any input didn't have a chance to say, this is a really bad way of doing this. Um, and so now we're having to push uphill. And I've just recently seen where um, in the last day or so, they've proposed to uh, now make these changes in the conditions of employment and the hoops that they want people to jump through just to be able to use the removable media. is like, you've got to be kidding me. Um We've got to make things, you know, we're trying to make things easier for our employees and, you know, making them jump through hoops so they can use the removable media that their taxpayers give them so we can get it into our system is not the way to go. We want to try and make sure that we can accommodate this as easily and as painlessly as possible while being secure. So it's it's going to be an interesting discussion nationally. Well, here's the thing, and I, I'm, I'm just guessing here, I have no inside information, that there was some issue with some removable media that may have damaged the IRS system. I can, uh, That's the only reason I can think of that would cause 
uh, IT to, to make an immediate decision like that. And when I was a manager, I was always a believer in explaining not only what my employees were supposed to do, but to the extent that I was able to do it, explain why they are doing it this way. And uh, as I understand uh, the explanation you have just given me, the information technology people at IRS have not told the employees or NTEU or even other parts of management in some cases why this was done so quickly, although we can certainly guess why. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there must have been some trigger that caused this to be done rather quickly, but it, it doesn't work that way. And there are things that have to be negotiated when you make major changes. And you can ask any revenue agent or TCO out there, this is a major change for them when they can't use this removable media to view files, to view records, things of that nature. So, <laughs> yeah, this has to be negotiated before you change something like this. And we're going to make sure that it is and that's done to make it as easy as possible while still being secure for those folks who need this information. Uh, you have provided some information for me just recently uh, that NTEU has started something new. It's called a retiree newsletter. And as a 10-year retiree, it, I looked at it, and it's, I think it's just recently been released, and uh, found it to be extremely useful and extremely helpful. So I'm really happy to see that the uh, NTEU people uh, doing communications have started this newsletter targeted specifically at retirees. Yeah, I thought that was a great, great idea, because we are having more and more um, retirees remain as NTU members. It's a it's, I think it's a great idea. You still get information. There's still a lot of discounts out there that folks can avail themselves of between, you know, um, you know, car rentals, hotels, uh, some amusement parks, things of that nature. So there are things that are very useful that they can use for that as the benefits, as well as insurance, things of that like that. But it gives them information on what we're fighting for, because when we're fighting, we're fighting for employees, whether they're active or whether they're retired. And there are a lot of issues out there that impact retired employees. So I was really glad to see a uh, former guest of ours, Sheila McCormick, and her shop um, go out and create this newsletter that will come out monthly for folks who are retired, specifically for those their issues. And for those of you who are near retirement, uh, it's, what, $50 a year to be a retired member? Am I getting that right? Yeah. Is $50, you pay it once a year, uh, it's not expensive at all. And NTEU's legislative department not only is out there pushing for employees, they're pushing for retirees as well. So that alone is worth the 50 bucks a year, in my opinion. There are other uh, organizations you can also uh, you know, uh, join. I, I, I have another organization that I joined as a retiree, but NTU is a very effective one. And I would certainly recommend that as you retire, you keep that NTU membership. Uh, you still get your, your regular communications, you get your newsletters, your emails, all those things are still provided to you. And you've got uh, the, uh, the website you can get onto. And as Duncan mentioned, there are many discounts available there. Uh, by the way, that news, that first newsletter that came out had some very important news, not only for people uh, who are in, nearing or in retirement, but some people who are working, because many people who are working are paying into this long-term care insurance system, which was uh, initiated many years ago. I, I uh, joined it when it was first made available a long time ago, and uh, 
we've had a couple of uh, renewals of the contract with the company, the private company providing this. And there was a heads up in this retiree newsletter that it's very likely that there will be an increase in the premiums when the contract is renewed for this long-term care insurance program. And there could be a hold on new people being able to get into the program. So those are two very important pieces of information people need to know. We have no idea whether there will be or to what extent there will be a limit on people being able to enroll newly in the program. but uh, And we still don't know how much the rate increase might be, but knowing that ahead of time is, is valuable information. So that's one example of how that newsletter can be uh, very informative. And that's it exactly, and that's what it's geared towards, those types of issues. Like you said, that's very important information out there. And it's something that we want to make sure, you know, and if you're not a retiree, as I mentioned, you can still get this newsletter. You can opt in to get this if you would like to. Um, but, yeah, those those are the types of uh, specific information to those who are, uh, even if they're not retiring, if you're into the um, long-term care and you're a member of that and pay that premium, yeah, knowing that it's going to go up and how much it possibly might is important information for you to know. So, I, like I said, I think it's a really good idea, and I think it's really good information out there. Okay, a couple of quick hits uh, as we uh, wrap this up. Uh, I just saw a recent report, and, and I think we all knew this intuitively, but we've got the data to back it up right now. We've had constant continuing resolutions. We're many months in the fiscal year before our final budget is approved. So we'll have months and months of continued resolution, which is just using last year's budget, which is essentially a cut, particularly in inflationary times. What these studies are showing is that there are two uh, things that this is creating for all agencies, IRS being one. Number one, it's very difficult to hire. You can't always hire if you have a continuing resolution because you don't know what your final budget number is going to be. So not knowing what your budget's going to be as you're into your fiscal year, particularly well into it, harms the ability to hire. And when you do hire, you have to do it quickly, and it's not always as efficient to do it in, in a large bulk. Second thing is it just is not very efficient. You know, people have harped on efficiency in the federal government, and there are people you and I know who have worked very hard on making the federal government as efficient as it can be. But Congress can help that by giving us a budget at the beginning of the fiscal year. When you don't do that, that does not increase the efficiency with which you spend the government, the money the government provides you to run these agencies. So those are two uh, things that we have discovered through just the uh, the data that's been running through and independent studies have shown that these continuing resolutions year after year are creating some harm. Any any comment on that, Duncan? Yeah, doing the continuing resolutions that we've been doing for the last umpteen years now, um, you know, isn't shooting yourself in the foot. It's taking a machine gun to it. Because like you said, I can I can tell you how many discussions I've had with upper-level executives and they say, you know, we'd love to hire, but we have no idea what our budget's going to be. So until we get that final budget, we think we, we think we know what it's going to be, but we don't know for sure. So we can't do any hiring until then. Now, hopefully for the IRS, um, if they do pass uh, what's going to be going starting through the Senate um, next month, or excuse me, later this week, not next month, um, 
to actually give us some money to uh, stabilize, that's going to help us. But that's no guarantee for an overall budget. So, yeah, it's it's extremely important to pass appropriation bills on time. Yeah, we mentioned in our last podcast, there was this last-minute deal to get what was called once the bill back better bill. I think that's what they call it. They give names to all these bills. But this would create $80 billion of funding for IRS over 10 years, additional funding uh, for some service, but mostly in, in, in just uh, compliance work. Uh, we don't have that nailed down yet. Hopefully by our next podcast in about a week and a half, we'll We'll have more that we can tell you on that. Uh, we don't have final approval, and we don't know what the final bill looks like. We have some clues, but we don't know for sure. One last item, and uh, NTU sent out a news release on this just recently. Tony Reardon has been very clear that NTEU is in the trenches, working very hard to continue to allow the civil service to be what it has always been, uh, just that. And there are people... Uh, elected officials who are out there publicly saying they want to make the federal government an at-will employment situation, which means anybody could be fired for any reason, which, as I have mentioned before, has been used to just wipe out agencies in the past to bring in all your political friends every time there's a new president. I talked about how Indiana did that with governors for years, and that when that changed, that professionalized uh, agencies like the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, the Highway uh, Department, other places in Indiana, which had always had complete turnover anytime the governor's office changed. Well, some of these proposals that are out there would change the entire federal government, not just the made, just the top, the top 4,000 people, which is what it is now, who are presidential appointees to help run agencies at the top. This would go further, way further down. Some would actually put the entire civil service at will. These are very, very bad ideas. Um, you know, the American civil service and, and Tom Friedman, a, a columnist for the Washington, I'm sorry, the New York Times, has written about this extensively. He's traveled the world. He's one of the great, I think, journalists who's covered foreign affairs. And he comes back to America and says, you Americans don't understand. Your civil service is the envy of the world. You know, it's it, you go to some countries, you have to pay a bribe to get a license. You have to pay a bribe to get anything done by government. We don't have that here. And if something like that happens, you're probably going to be prosecuted here. So um, I, I really do feel that we uh, at NTEU are working very hard to preserve this very important and, 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 and very effective way of running government, the civil service. It's under attack and it needs to be defended. And I'd like your views on this. Yeah, you can't go back to you know, what it was before the civil service uh, was enacted to be the spoil system, because as you said, it would just be wholesale changes at just about every level. And you want to talk about inefficient government, um, it would be just a joke. And, you know, why these people, you know, there is a baked in ideology out there of some people that, you know, the Career civil service are bad. They are against, you know, they're just bureaucratic. They're not doing it. They're doing it for rules. They're not doing it for the people. And I've got to say that uh, is categorically wrong. Everybody that I've uh, run across that works in the federal government, and I've talked to several folks in different agencies, want to do the right thing for the taxpayers. They're not being obstructionist to be obstructionist's sake. They want things done the right way, the proper way, 
regardless of what political party it is or ideology or who wants to do what. They want to make sure that they're doing things the right way as the laws are written. We don't write the laws. Congress writes the laws. We just enforce them at the IRS and so do other agencies. So if there's a problem with the way things are being done, they need to take a look at themselves in the mirror and say, well, maybe we should correct those laws. But for some reason, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, Duncan, time for your final comment. Yeah, I just um, want to take a second to uh, a shout out to National NTU and to all my counterparts across the country and to employees out there who are coming into back in the office. As I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of places in the country that are going to higher risk because COVID is still out there and still mutating. Um, you know, we're trying to make it as safe as possible. We work with the IRS. We want you to be in a workplace that is as safe as possible. People ask, why don't you just shut this building down? Or why can't they just shut that building down? And unfortunately, that's not going to be realistic in this uh, date and time. Uh, could that happen possibly in the future if it gets worse? Yeah, but I don't see that with vaccinations and other preventative measures that are available out there. So just know that NTU from the very top to every single uh, steward and leader out there across the country are working to make sure that your workplace is as safe as possible. And when there is an incident where someone has COVID, that they are cleaning it according to CDC guidelines. And I know several parts of the country, when that doesn't happen, that NTU leaps into action. So I just want to commend everyone for that and for the employees who are coming in every day, making sure that they're taking the proper precautions and doing the job that, uh, for the American taxpayer. And I want to even take that a little further. I want to thank everybody that works at IRS, the agency with which I worked for 28 years and retired 10 years ago from. Uh, people like yourself, Duncan, who work at the NTU level, the managers who work very hard to do the right thing and to, and to help their and support their employees, the employees that are out there. And and just think of for a moment, I mean, we, we forget this. These, these employees at these service centers that were working when there were COVID outbreaks and people were going into the hospital not coming out alive early in this pandemic, there wasn't a way to treat them. It's different now. It was very, very scary at that time. There are many people, and it was throughout the federal government, but I'll speak about what I know the most about, and that's that IRS agency, who people who went into the office, and some of them are not highly paid people doing this uh, work paper processing. We're behind, but it wasn't because, you know, people were goofing off. It's because we dealt with the pandemic. We couldn't bring everybody in. We had to space people out, so we couldn't have as many people working in the buildings. Uh, there were a lot of people who braved it out and risked being sick, and they're in management, they're within TU, they're in the front lines, um, and people who worked out of their homes when it wasn't easy to do that. You know, some people love working at home. It's what they prefer to do. But for some, it's not easy. They did it anyway, whether it's in toll-free or they were doing their audits the best they could remotely or the collection work. Whatever they were doing, they were doing it in really tough situations. So uh, we, set, we tend to lose sight, Duncan, of how tough things have been and how much we have uh, – sustained in terms of our own psyches, our own emotional and mental health 
Uh, we've talked about how you need to take care of your mental health, but uh, we need to just think about all of all of what civil servants all throughout the government have done throughout this pandemic, uh, the public health service alone, what they have done. So uh, my hat's off to all of them and to people like you and, and just uh, others within government. You know, we don't get into government to get rich. Let's put it bluntly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we go to government because we're, we believe in the work we're doing and we, we, uh, we are part of something that is bigger than ourselves. I mean, that's, that's the reason most of us are in civil service. And, uh, so, uh, that's, that's the goal. That's the reason we do it. And, uh, and let's just, uh, let's just remember this because I don't think we remember it like we should. And Duncan Giles, thank you very much. We'll be back in about a week and a half with another chapter 49 podcast. Again, if, if you enjoy these podcasts, let others know. Uh, Duncan will alert you to whenever we have new podcasts, both the video and the audio versions, and we'll provide links. All you have to do is send him an email, nteu49 at aol.com. I actually got it right this time, Duncan. So I want to thank you all for watching and listening. That's the only reason Duncan and I do this podcast, the video and the audio version is because of the feedback we receive from you. You can use that email address to provide any kind of feedback you would like. If there's something you'd like for us to discuss or have any suggestions, please let us know. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind. Be kind.